And uh, Brandon and I decided to actually do that. Uh, I didn't have to get persuaded too much because that means it's casual Sunday for me. So uh, anyway, we're looking forward just to emphasizing that. Our children will be going to children's church, and we just ask that God would really speak to them in real powerful ways this morning. Also, last Sunday, we began a new uh, PT with God, personal time with God series for the, the Gospel of Mark, and encourage you to, to uh, just go along with uh, the rest of us in, in looking at Jesus in, in a book that fires fast in terms of, of the life and ministry of who Christ is. And we purposely make it a, a doable thing. Um, in my pushy days, I'm not very pushy anymore, but I it used to, uh, whenever I would see people, I would just say, what's the word from the word uh, today? And and sometimes people give me that blank stare like, what in the world are you talking about? And so uh, one way to get in God's word is, is have a plan and a simple plan where you just kind of devotion, look at God's word. And, and, and I was amazed this last week looking just in the first chapter on some amazing things that are right there on the surface about who Jesus is. He, he is. he is the Son of God, the heart of the gospel. He is the one that will not only, as John the Baptist uh, came to prepare the way for Jesus, um, his baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus' baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. Also, within that first chapter, we found out that kind of uniquely is that often we think about, you know, who leads us into temptation. We often think the answer to that is Satan, but it's actually the Spirit of God that does that. At least they did that with, did that with Jesus because God wants to, uh, to test us, to, to reveal who we really are, that we're God's children. And uh, we find out that when God, uh, through the... Uh, does something, uh, he does it immediately. When, when Jesus would heal, it wouldn't take a long time. It was instantaneous. And as we think about who Jesus is, uh, he came and he had a purpose and he was preaching the gospel everywhere. And that was just in the first chapter. So I'm excited about looking at Jesus through the gospel of Mark. I encourage you to do that. Uh, we also have an insert in the back. Uh, gives you kind of an overview of the book. And um, hope uh, you're excited about starting this new year and starting this new year Right. Uh, do I need to preach last two weeks' messages all over? And we want to start this new year right. right. All right. So uh, even though Brandon has prayed, I, I need another prayer. So let's uh, let's pray again. So let's pray. Father, we just pray on this morning as we uh, gather together, and we we just want to be the people of God that uh, honor you. Uh, we want to be the church that that uh, is centered on the things that are important to you. And and Father, we just pray as we get back in the Book of Ephesians, as we begin uh, seeing um, the truths that transform. Uh, we pray that we might have open hearts and open minds. We pray as, as groups meet throughout the week to uh, look at other passages and, and really uh, cement truths into our, our lifestyle that you might empower that to happen. And Father, we just really pray today that we might really um, hear from you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, oftentimes uh, when I'm out and people uh, might n- discover I'm a pastor or they might just want to know uh, something about me, and, and I begin talking, and they go, well, eventually I'll get around thinking, what, what, what church do you go to? And I, you know, I'll mention it's Grace Hills Church, and they'll say, what kind of a church is it? And at that point, I, I'm not always sure how to answer that question. I could bring out all the faults you all have and tell you about, no, no. I could, uh, I could tell them all about the faults the pastor has. You know, what, what kind of church are we? And then I like to step back and say, well, what kind of church would I like to be? And as I think about that, it, you can, get, you can complicate that answer very easily uh, as you think about that very simple question. What kind of church do we want to be? And hopefully when we think about that, we even go back a step further and say, what kind of church does God want us to be? Because that's really what's important. It really doesn't matter what I think, and particularly it doesn't matter what you think, but it does matter what God thinks. You know, what, what does God want this church to be? And as I was thinking about that, again, trying to keep things simple, in many ways I'm a very simple-thinking person, 
is I think it's all about people being able to see Christ in his church. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the Jesus answer. When you're not sure how to answer a question in church or in Sunday school or in a Bible study, just say Jesus, and it should be, you know, right most of the time. But really, as simple as that answer is, that really is what people ought to see in church. They, they ought to see Christ. And really this morning, what I want to do is we kind of look back at some things we've seen already in the book of Ephesians and then kind of look forward to what we're going to be seeing. Uh, I want to kind of get the theme of what Ephesians is all about. Some people actually thematically say that the book of Ephesians is not, it is about Christ, but it's about the church. It's really a statement about the church, but it's particularly about the church as people see Christ in the church. So this morning I want to answer two questions. What should people see at church? I've already answered that. And then I want to answer the question, well, how is it possible for people to see this at church? It's one thing to know the right answer. Well, then but how, what do I do, do with that answer? God wants His church to be a, a place where people see Christ. And I always like to wrap passages of Scripture around anything that I, I look at in, God, in terms of thinking about what God has for us. Uh, see, it's all about Christ. What does what what does God want people to see at, at church? He wants it to be people who see it's all about Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, you know, the pushback on that is, well, Paul, if that's all you want to say, then why do you have all those other words you put in, in your letters? Okay? He says a, a whole bunch of stuff, and we're going to be seeing some things, what he says about family, what he says about the workplace, what he says about spiritual warfare, what he says about uh, prayer, all those kind of things. But really, it, it means absolutely nothing in, unless it begins and really ends with Christ. I determine not to know anything among you Except this, it's Jesus Christ, which is the, the person of Christ. We're, we're, we follow a person, not a, a list of doctrines or rules and regulations. And there are things in the Scripture that, that speak about God's uh, truth and the things He wants us to do. But it's first about, about a person, and then it's about a message. And the message, summarizing that statement, is the gospel. That, that we really believe we have a message to tell people, good news, that you can be set free. We, we sang about that already. And so what should the church be about? It ought to be all about Christ, uh, the person of Christ and the message of Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But then if you take another step back and say, well, yeah, but how, how, how are people going to see this? You know, we don't have you know, a, a spiritual x-ray machine here to somehow portray uh, the, the unseen up on a screen. We don't see Christ physically. I know some people have seen Him in a and a bowl of spaghetti and a pizza place and, you know, billboards and stuff like that. But we don't see Christ manifested physically. So how are people to see Christ? Well, they're to see Christ in people. So what's the church about? It's all about Christ, and it's all about seeing Christ in lives. So we really are that picture that people ought to see about the church. And whether it's the church gather like we are this morning or the church scatter wherever we go, in our homes, in our places of work, where we go to school, people ought to see Christ in us. But again, as I think about that, well, yeah, but how, how, how do they see that? You know, it's because, you know, I wear a Gray Sales t-shirt and so that must be a Christian or I, I wear a fish, um, you know, someplace on my, you know, briefcase or whatever or on my 
car, there's a sticker. Or, you know, how, how do I identify myself as a Christian? How do people see it's, it's real and not just superficial? Well, in the book of Ephesians, he hammers that over and over and over again. And interesting enough, and I think this is critical, is when he, when he pushes the idea that we, this is the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of God, that people ought to see Christ in us. He focuses on what God does first before he looks at what we do in response to that. And so that ought to always be foremost in our heart in terms of living out what God wants for us, which is for us to, to live lives that people can see Christ in us. So what I want to do is I want to look at a few of those things, and then we're going to um, look at, again, our part in, in making that happen. Now, first of all, uh, again, this is kind of a long introduction to before we get into the passage here, but have you ever thought, well, how would you define a person who is a Christian? What, what would be fundamentally your description of a person who is a Christ follower? And sometimes we would, we would gravitate to, okay, the, the entry point. We might say, well, this is a person who has prayed a prayer, asking Jesus to forgive them and come into their life and make them a new person. We might say, well, this is a person who's walked forward in a crusade. This is a person who, who goes to church. This is a person who, who prays a lot, who reads this book, or whatever it might be. We might describe some activity. And again, as we think about that, well, could a person pray a prayer and not be a Christian? The answer to that is yes. Could a person go to church and not be a Christian? Of course he could. Could a person really read this book, maybe know it better than most people who are truly Christians and not be a Christian? Could a person spend a lot of time praying and not really know who he's praying to? Of course, that, the answer to that is yes. So, so really, what is a Christian? And I want to give you a simple definition uh, that works for me. A, a Christian is a person in whom Christ dwells. A, a person who is a Christian is a person in whom Christ dwells. And one of the things you can work on that kind of definition is say, well, could we apply those same questions that we applied to going to church, praying, reading the Bible, praying a prayer? Could a person not be a Christian if Christ dwells in them? The answer is no. So that's the essence of what a person who really is a Christ follower is a person in whom Christ dwells. I used to leave that as the definition of, of a Christian in my heart and mind, but I, I want to say it on the other side of the coin because both coins have two sides, don't they? You can't have a coin without having two sides, right? Okay, so I, I want to say you can't be a Christian without two sides of this definition. A, a Christian or a Christ follower is a person in whom Christ dwells. And it's also a person who dwells in Christ. And there is significance to both sides of those coins. Wherever we go, God goes with us. And he, he comes into our world. But if you look at Scripture, it's also the emphasis that we are invited into His world. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, uh, Jesus was saying to uh, those who were contemplating becoming uh, part of his, his movement, he said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And sometimes we, we, mix, we, we mess the emphasis is that, that wherever we go, Christ follows us, he's with us. But even more so, wherever Jesus goes, whatever Jesus is involved, we follow him. 
So, so a Christian is a person in whom Christ dwells, but it's also a person who dwells in Christ. And that's the emphasis of Ephesians. And we're, we're going to see this in a few illustrations of this in terms of particular statements where it says that we're in Christ. In fact, uh, I, I did it before, so I'm not going to do it again. But you, you can go through Ephesians and, and highlight all the times it says in Christ or in Him. In Christ, in Him. In fact, in the first chapter, uh, Paul says that 38 times. You're in Christ, you're in Him. You're in Christ, you're in Him. So if you say something 38 times, it's probably going to be on the test, right? You better, you better get that. Okay, so, so with that as a backdrop, okay, God wanting to see Christ in our lives. And if you want to know what that means, it means you need to invite Christ to dwell in you and you need to commit to dwelling in Him, all right? Is, is what happens when we become Christ followers? And what, will, what, what kind of people are we? And let me just illustrate it in a couple of different ways. We will be people who are forgiven. And, and these, are, these are going to be no-brainers. These are things most of you have heard over and over and over again. But I want, I want to hopefully say it in a way that becomes helpful. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In Him, that's that in Him, in Christ uh, idea, in Him we have redemption, which means we've been bought, we've been set free. And again, we sang about part of what it means to be a Christian. We're free. We are. We are. We are in freedom. But that's a whole another message. In Him we, are, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, if Christ is seen in us as people who look at us, and again, people don't have spiritual x-ray machines to see what's in your heart or in your life. And I, I love that little you know, statement by this, this little kid who's, who's, who was asked, do you want to ask Christ in your life? says, no, and and he said, well, why don't you? Because I don't think he'd fit. You know, you know, I'm too little for Jesus to fit in me. You know, it's not that Christ physically is in our lives, but he comes and becomes all of who we are on the inside. It is that if we are in Christ and we're in him, then we ought to see ourselves as forgiven people. Now, if we really believe that, and, and there's going to be a struggle at times, particularly when we head through periods of time where we're messing up and seems like we're just not doing it, okay, in terms of living out our faith. But if we recognize that we are forgiven independent of anything we do other than embracing Christ, how will that make a difference in how we live? Well, again, you can often answer that question by looking at the opposite. If you go through life feeling that you're not forgiven uh, and you are convinced of that, you're going to live a life filled with guilt, with remorse, with thinking about the past, being tied to your past. You're going to be a person who is, who is burdened down. You'll be that person who proverbially has the backpack and he's got rocks filled with all the things that, that he messed up or she messed up with and you're just weighted down. But if you come to the point where you realize that in Christ, and that's not something you have done, that's something he has done, you realize that, that God took those rocks out of your backpack that you are not condemned, you are, you are set free. You, you are, your, your sins, though they be uh, filled with all the, the shame that life can bring, it is before a holy God made clean. And, and, and you go through life not uh, packed with the past, 
that destroys you. And so you just think, wouldn't that be an awesome experience to go through life, just remind yourself that you're forgiven. God, God looks at you so much differently than anyone else in this world does, and even yourself. He just sees you as one of his children. And, and, and the things that you have done that were wrong are, 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 are taken from as far as the east is from the west. It's buried in the deepest sin. And even, even God wanted to make it even clear. So I, I, I remember your sins no more. That doesn't mean that God no longer is omniscient. But when I think of you, even though I know what you've done, it, it's just like I've never, I don't, I, I've, I've just taken as far away from my mind as possible and it's not held into your account. Wouldn't it be great that this, just this week, all of us would, would leave who are Christ followers and just live lives knowing that we are forgiven. That, that we don't have to do anything to get God to, to somehow look at us in a, in a, in a, a way that, that means we're not condemned. He's done it all. But as we think of now the implication of that, if we are forgiven, then we ought to be forgiven. And that's what the scripture says very, very clearly. People who are forgiven, as far as people seeing Christ in us, we ought to see people who are forgiving. In Ephesians 4.32, it says this, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And just in case, at any moment in your time, you're not motivated to forgive someone who's hurt you, he says, oh, by the way, even as God in Christ has what? Forgiven you. But that's always announced to us in light of what God has done for us. You are forgiven, and because you are forgiven, you can be forgiving. Now, in this point, if this was a small group, we might have you all take a piece of paper and say, okay, write down anybody in your life right now that you're having a hard time forgiving, that you're having a hard time not keeping those things they've done wrong in your life in an account, that when you think of them all the time, those things rise to the top. What things are you putting on others to, to prove their worth to you because of the, the pain they've caused you or the pain they've caused others you care about? Who are, who are the people in your life you're not wiping that slate clean? It doesn't mean that you now change what you think about what they did. I mean, what they did might have been wrong and hurtful and destructive, but you are not going to be their judge. God's going to be their, their judge. See, as we think about being the church that God wants us to be, it's about people seeing Christ. And the way people see Christ is they see Christ in His people. And the way people see Christ in His people is for God's people to see what God has done for them. And then in a, in a response to what He's done for us is that that's what I want to be. be. Because I've been forgiven, I want to be forgiving. And what a radical way of demonstrating that the Christ who came for us, who, who spoke with authority because he lived out what he taught. The familiar passages and the themes in Scripture are throughout in terms of what God has done for us and that what we are doing in response to that. Not only are we forgiven, we ought to be forgiving. Uh, we are people who are loved. Ephesians 1.6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the... Beloved. And there's many passages, of course, that talk about we love because he first loved us. And there's a multitude of passages that speak about God's love for us. 
But I dare say that often we as Christ followers, we've we've heard about God's love, but we, we don't go through life convinced we are loved. And part of that's because we know how shallow at times our love is or how how, how inconsistent rather consistent it is. But, but God's love <laughs> endures. And we are loved not because we are deserving of love, and that's often where our love falls short. We, we love when, when we feel the person we are loving is deserving, but God loves us, period. In fact, the Bible says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, undeserving, Christ died for us. You know, we are accepted in his beloved family. What a, what a picture we would give this world if we went through life disconvinced we are loved. And what would that look like? There would definitely be a security as we go through life. When you're convinced no one cares, it feels like you're worthless, isn't it? I mean... No one, no one really, no one really, I don't really matter to anybody. I'm insignificant. It doesn't, and we form those opinions by how people respond to us. But just think about it. The most significant person in, in the universe loves you, loves me. Not, not because I deserve it, but because he chose to love me. And, and so, so God wants us to, to demonstrate to a world that doesn't see him to see him because we reflect what God has done in us and are convinced of that. We ought to remind ourselves again how much always God loves us. You know, for children, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll try to say, how much does God love you? Does he love you this much or that much? You know, he loves you that much. The symbol of the cross. We ought to be a church that, that people see Christ in us, not because of who we are, because of who he is. We are forgiven, then in turn, we are from the heart want to be forgiving. We are loved, and, and then the obvious, then, that we ought to be loving. In um, Ephesians 5.2, and it's interesting, in a number of the passages, it will do the same thing I'm trying to do this morning, which will talk about what God has done, and then say, okay, my appeal to you in terms of living it out is to remember what you have been done to by God. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Why should we, as God's people, be loving? Because we have been loved. And again, that, that's where at times when our, our cup, uh, you know, is not full, but it feels empty. And we're, well, how can I love when I don't feel like loving? Well, the way we become better lovers is to always recognize how much we have been loved. I think you know, I was sharing this with some other people this past week. You know, the common language, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And, and, and we all have baggage and it, it kind of spills out on others. But you could also say this, loved people, love people. And when we don't feel loved, we need to remind ourselves, and that's what this book is all about, is how much God loves us. So we, we are to be people that people see Christ in us. And again, these are just familiar themes. We ought to be a, a, uh, recognize we are forgiven people, so we ought to be forgiving. We ought to love people, so we ought to be loving. And I just threw a few, threw, threw, threw a few others out here. Uh, we ought to be people who are of the truth. 
I want to put some things in here that, that, gone, that go beyond the, the idea of, of the, the internal things that God does for us. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, in, in the first church, they often would describe Christ followers as followers of the way. Sometimes they would be the people of the truth. Um, but because we know the person who is truth, then we ought to be people who are truthful. In Ephesians 4, 25, it says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, but we are members of one another. Now, again, I don't want to be over-spiritual here. It, we need to recognize that we will struggle with this. You know, why would the Apostle Paul, in trying to emphasize in the latter part of the book, emphasize some things he wanted uh, uh, God's people to live out because at that moment they weren't living it out? You know, why, why would he tell people to stop lying because they were lying? <laughs> they weren't telling the truth. So I say, I want you to understand, you are people of the truth. God speaks truth to you all the time. And there's so many reasons why we want to be people of the truth. Does anyone like to be lied, at, lied to? Anybody want to raise? I love it when people lie to me. They just they, they hide the truth from me. They, they you know they they deceive me. I just like people to deceive me. You know, particularly when I want to buy a car. You know, tell me, don't tell me. You know, you know what we we hate it when people you know don't tell us the truth. But but somehow we get caught up in that sometimes, don't we? And we need to recognize people who are told the truth constantly that they're going to be people who then become the habit of being truth sayers. And that's what he's saying. God, God tells you the truth, so you have the freedom now to tell other people the truth. It, it, it all comes out of a, a relationship with God. It's not, if we reverse the order, okay, be truthful, okay, then it's all right to remember that God, you know, tells you the truth. You know, it's, you know be loving and then, you know, think about the God. No, it, it, you've got to do the first part first. You've got to recognize that God forgives you, that's why you ought to be forgiving. God loves you, that's why you ought to be loving. God tells you the truth, is the truth, that's why we are truth sayers. Because the most important person in this universe tells us the truth. In fact, the Bible says in, uh, I think it's Numbers, that God is not a man that, <laughs> that he should lie. And there are a number of things God cannot do. God cannot tell a lie. And we want to be that kind of people because he always tells us the truth. And there's so many other things we could say. I, I put in here uh, people who are suffered for by Christ. And I, I, I just, I could have picked a number of ones. Some, these are the ones that just intrigued me this past week. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to the God, being put to death in the flesh, but made, made alive in the spirit. But the idea for Christ also suffered once for sins. And, and really what that means, he suffered for our sins because we are so identified with sins. And, and then, then you say, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, we need to recognize we're now living in a world that's filled with opportunities to suffer. We, we don't seek them out, but there are, there are experiences in life that we would prefer not to have. And often when we are in experiences we prefer not to have, after we blame the people around us, eventually we blame who? Blame God. <laughs> what, what's up with this? You know, why am I going through this, or why am I, my loved one going through this? Uh, can't you remove this from me? And the answer, of course, is yes. He could, because God is not always not only all loving; He's all powerful. But God chooses not to. And, and we need to recognize that whenever we go through suffering. Uh, we are following a pretty good example, aren't we? 
because he suffered for us. And if he suffered for us, maybe, maybe we can go through some suffering. In Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, which means you know, measure up to what God has done for you and has called you into, um, in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. And so some, and I throw this out because sometimes our greatest opportunity to demonstrate that we are Christ follower is not when we are doing the directive, positive things we can do for people in, in our life by forgiving them and loving them and telling the truth. And, but sometimes it's just how we endure suffering. How, how many times have you talked with people and said, I don't know how they're going through what they're going through. And oftentimes, when you talk to people like that, say, well, I, I couldn't apart from Christ. And it, it speaks to, to God living within them. But there's so many other things we, we could talk about. You know, we, 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 have, God is, we are people who have received God's kindness. I think it's in Romans 2, around verses 4 through 6. It says, it's the kindness of God who leads us into, reten- in, into repentance. And because of that, we ought to be kind people to others. You can look at any attribute that God wants us to live out, and it's God has done that for us first. So we will live in such a way when we see Christ in us and we're dwelling in his world as well as our world and realizing what he's done for us, and in turn we do in response to that. That's what God wants to see in his church, see Christ in his people. But how is this possible? Well, part of what we've already looked at in terms of just looking at what God has done for us. But, but, uh, and, and let me just emphasize that a little bit in the first point, but then I want to get to another active point. How is it possible for people to see this in church or seeing Christ in us? Because God's people have a new identity. We need to really see ourselves, as I define what a Christian is, as being in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This week in your life groups, you'll look at that parallel passage in Peter, which says it in in an even more uh, demonstrative way. But we need to recognize that this is who we are. We are are people who are in Christ. We are Christ followers. I think it was John was preaching a number of months ago. You know, what is a Christian? It's, it's a little Christ. It doesn't mean we are Christ, but we, we represent Christ because he dwells in us and we, we dwell in him. And we are a blessed people. You know, you know, often we ask the question, who is that person? You know, and, and who are you? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? Or whatever it might be. And we need to recognize, above anything else, what is your identity? I'm a Christ follower. I think that was one of the first Sundays I was here. I said, well, I, I tried to answer the question, what do you want people to call you? you know, do you want me to call them doctor? Do you want them to call them reverend? Do you want them to call them most holy bishop? You know, whatever, I don't know. And I said, you can just call me Mike. That's all I am. Now, sometimes I will define, often I'll identify myself as pastor because I've, I've found that Mike is a common name. And sometimes when I say Mike, they go, who is this? Okay, but it's hard to have titles. But you know, as a pastor, you know, that's just what I do. But who I am is a Christ follower. I'm, I'm a person who's in love of Christ, who has loved me. 
You know, that's who I am. Now, what I do, I don't mind describing that. I, I, I like being a pastor, but that's just what I do. And I, you know, just throwing this in for free. When uh, Alice and I you know, became parents, it was interesting. I was a youth pastor at the time, and we started getting, uh, having kids, and people said, oh, your kids are going to have a real hard time. I go, well, why is that? Because they're going to be PKs, pastor's kids. Now, they had a hard time because I was her dad, but, you know, <laughs> but, but I was convinced that they were not going to be, have a hard time because they were the pastor's kid. They were going to be a kid that grew up in a Christ-honoring home. And, and I did not expect of them anything more than what a Christ follower would want for their kids because that's my identity. You know, I don't have them call me pastor at home, you know, <laughs> you know, a reverend or whatever it might be. I'm just dad who wants to honor Christ. And I guess I, I want to say that strongly. Uh, there's something in my eye. Sometimes it happens when I preach. But <laughs> is that is that that's really who you are. Now, I'm amazed at what some of you do occupationally, vocationally. But what I'm more amazed is how you have Christ and at the center of what you do as you, as you do what you do. And, and that's what's important, is that's, that's who we are. And, and that's what Paul s- said to the church at Ephesus. We, we don't know the list of occupations they had at that church, but what he said to them, I want you to know as you go through life, you are in Christ. You're in him. So that's, that's our identity. You know, we're a child of God in, in, Roman, in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's who I am. I'm a child of his. As messed up as sometimes I am, but that's who I am. I'm a child of God. You know, as we said before, the Bible says that, that we, are, we are known in the Scripture now as Christ followers, not so much as sinners, but as saints. And, and a saint is not a... Is not, a synonym for perfect. It's a synonym, synonym for someone who is or defined more as a person who's set apart to be part of something greater than themselves. That's who we are. And there's a freedom in understanding that. And Paul hammered that over and over and over again. But as we see, we have a new identity. And that's how we live in such a way that Christ can be seen in us. We have a new identity and remind yourself that constantly because so often, uh, you know, in what Psychologists call it self-talk. You know, we can, we can be talking to ourselves all the time. You know, and, and when we do something, you know, bad, we say, oh, I'm a real, I'm a loser, you know. Well, you might have lost, but you're not a loser. In fact, the Bible says you're a winner. We have victory in Christ. You, you can take all the negative things we say to us and recognize, hey, there's passages of Scripture that speak to us. Now, it doesn't mean we haven't done something that was kind of messed up, but we're not messed up. Does that make sense? We have a new identity in Christ. Now, the other part of this equation, and Paul emphasizes in, in the passage we kind of left off with it before we got in the Christmas season, is not only do we have a new identity, but we, we also have, uh, uh, have someone living within us that was left here when Jesus took off. God's people have the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it, you know, and, and the idea, it talks about being filled with the Spirit. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to that. Uh, I put all the other passages here, and I put one reference here. But in Ephesians chapter 5, it, it, it speaks 
to the life that God wants us to live by the power of His presence in us found in the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and describes what will happen if that is true. You'll speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We'll have a joy on the inside that often kind of breaks off in some kind of expression. It might be a song. It might be just a, a sense of God's presence that just brings uh, words of, of, of joy. Uh, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things in God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be people who are thankful, we'll be joyful, we'll be thankful. And then verse 21, submitting to one another in the, in the fear of Christ, in the fear of God. We'll be selfless. We're, we'll be living not for our own selves, but for the sake of others. We'll, we'll be willing to arrange ourselves under others for the purpose of ministering to them. And, and so as we think about living out our faith in church, gathered and scattered, and we're going to see that in the home and in the workplace, wherever we might live. We, we do it because we have a new identity. We are, we are not who we used to be. We are now part of God's program and God's plan because of His presence. And, and then as we live that out, we live it in dependence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, living under, uh, being filled with the Spirit, just like the analogy used there, is being under his influence, not the influence of other people, the world, or other substances. It's the Spirit who lives in us, and we depend upon Him. And, and that's a conscious effort on our part to say, God, I, I don't want to live for self today. I want to live by the power of the Spirit to, to please and honor You. And then the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, well, what that will look like is not only recognizing it's the Spirit who dwells within you, being that person you depend upon, but in Colossians 3.16, it says that you'll let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. If I want to have the thoughts of God, then I need to know what God has already said. And so that's why the Word of God is a source of truth that the Spirit of God guides us through because we know what He, what he thinks and what's important and what He has done and what He wants us to do. In light of his love for us, we want to live that out. And that makes the measuring stick for how we're walking with God um, not just subjective but objective because as the Word of God begins to filter through our lives, we become different people because we, we hear His truth, we believe His truth, and because of our love for Him, we want to live out His truth. So what's the so, what's the, so what this morning? God wants us to know our identity and He wants us to rely on that source of strength in our life so that people can see Christ in us. We have a new identity. We have the Holy Spirit. And He wants us to depend upon Him, to live out what He's done for us. At Christmas Eve, I share with you, uh, for those who are here, the, 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 the number one word in 2013. Uh, it's the word selfie. Uh, it's, it was designated by the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, they do that every year. They have a, a list of words that, that are considered important to them. I don't think on that particular day I, I share with you the, the words that didn't, that didn't quite make the number one list. If I didn't, uh, here, here's some of them. Um, and the Oxford English Dictionary is written in Britain, so it's kind of a British emphasis here. But uh, the, the words, some of the words that didn't quite get number one was bedroom tax, because particularly in Britain there, there were some people who were upset about new taxes. Do you ever get upset about taxes? Uh, but the bedroom tax was opponents 
term for a British welfare policy change. So I guess they, they have to pay more out of their own home to pay for other people who don't have a home. Uh, binge watching. You know what binge watching is? That's watching multiple television episodes in succession. You know, if you, if you DVR them or tape it, you can watch a whole year in, in maybe two days or something like that or whatever it might be. That, so that's binge watching. Um, Bitcoin, uh, that's a digital currency. How about this one? Aliguinto. You know what an aliguinto is? Come on, you animal lovers out there. It's a South American mammal. All right. Then a couple ones I really like. One is, one is shemit. You know what shemit is? That's eating synthetic meat. And here, here's something we probably all do. Uh, uh, showrooming. You know what showrooming is? That's looking at items in shops and buying online because it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, one they did not make in their top five, but they, they, they were aware of it was uh, twerking, which I will not define what that means. Okay. But, you know, going back, going back to, to, to selfie, what's interesting about selfie is, uh, is one, it, I, I shared on that night, and some of this is old news, but some of this is new news. It, it really was first coined by, uh, as far as, as they know from the Oxford English Dictionary people, in Australia almost 10 years ago. And it was uh, done by a, a guy that... Um, I stumbled and fell and cut up his face and, you know, I can't imagine people doing that. But anyway, it is, at the, at, right at the, at the point of that happening, he took a picture of himself and sent it. A selfie really is, you know, when you take a picture of yourself and then you not only do you want to have that for, for, for memoirs or whatever, history, you want other people to enjoy that and so you put it on some kind of social media. And so he said, uh, sorry about the focus, I just took a selfie, right? And... Uh, you wonder, why, why is it called a selfie? Well, because Australians like to put IE into all kinds of things. You know, they, they don't put things on a barbecue. They put it on a Barbie. You know, they, they don't, uh, what was the other one they had there? They, 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 they don't call a firefighter a firefighter. They call them a fiery. And they don't call uh, a can of beer a can of beer. They call it a tinny. But anyway, they, so they caught the, the, the self picture. They called it a selfie. But the reason I go through all that, just to close our message, yeah, you wonder, what in the world are you talking about right now, is that, is we think about a selfie, you know, a selfie, you know, it can be a fun thing. You know, people kind of taking their phones, taking pictures. And a, a lot of times I, I notice as I've seen pictures like that, it, they're not only the only picture, but they have someone else in the picture. So it's kind of a kind of a remembrance on that. And they can they don't have to ask somebody else to take the picture. They can do it themselves. But if, if we take a selfie, obviously, to to its extreme, it's it's a preoccupation with self. It, it is really a, a statement of the antithesis of what it means to be a, a Christ follower. Because it's not about self. It's about the Savior. Let's pray. Follow all kinds of words that become part of our language and it can be kind of fun and, and sometimes they just, they're just words. But sometimes they can be a, a statement about what's happening in our culture or it can be a, a statement and even what's happening in our own lives where we're we're, we're starting to get preoccupied with self. And, and really, that's not what the church is all about. It's not about what's happening for us. It's what's happening for the kingdom of God. And it's living out the will of God. And it's living in response to what you have done. If I would pray that we might be a people that, that live in such a way to recognize what you have done for us. You've forgiven us. You've loved us told us the truth. You, you have even suffered for us. And because of that, we, we can be forgiving and we can be loving and we can be truthful 
And we can suffer in a way graciously that people can see the strength of God in us. Father, help us to do it by the power of the identity we have in Christ and the power of the Spirit. Help us to live in a way that people can see Christ in His church. Now, Father, as we continue to worship and as we give unto you, might you be honored. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.